Hi, it's Joanna Oki here and welcome back to the Deal Room Podcast, proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. Now, today we are back with part two of our series all about prepping for sale and today we are talking about protecting value and of course, we have on board the fabulous Fiona Yind who heads up our M&A services at Aspect Legal. Ladies and gentlemen, good evening. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. You're listening to The Deal Room Podcast. Join us as we bring you the inside scoop on business sales and acquisitions. Get across trends in the area and hear the industry's best recount their real-life tips, traps, and experiences. Now, here's your host, Joanna Oki. Fiona, welcome back. Thank you. You always say such nice things about me. (laughs) Well, fully deserving, Fiona, fully deserving. (laughs) So today we are talking about part two in our series, which is protecting value. Now, if you, the listener, have missed part one in this series, then go back to your favorite podcast player where you're listening to us right now and look for part one, Prepping for Sale, where we talked about protecting people. But in this episode, we're taking it a little bit further and we're talking about protecting value. Fiona, why are we talking about protecting value? What is this all about? Well, I don't know about our listeners, but I like every dollar I own to go into my pocket. And so that's the value I'm looking at protecting. How do you make each of those dollars work for you? And I know this is a little bit focused on the the seller's side because, you know, we're talking about getting in early and getting the process done right. But as a purchaser, here's a hint. If each of those dollars is going in whole, you may only have to spend a few of them rather than a lot. So you can actually see it as a way to get a better outcome from a purchaser side as well. I think that's such a good point. And I must say, it frustrates me sometimes when we deal in matters where advisors on the other side, you know, perhaps aren't as cognizant of this two-sided issue and benefit, perhaps, because I think quite often there's a really conservative approach that is brought by advisors who don't necessarily deal in the exit space a lot and acquisition space a lot. And the problem that that creates is that it minimizes the ability to come up with some of these creative ways to find real win-win solutions for both parties. So that's my little bugbear that I want to throw out there because I think it really helps if everyone's aligned and knows what they're doing because it, it ends up in a better outcome for everyone is what is my personal viewpoint. Yeah, look, I agree, Joe. And I have one other bugbear that drives me insane. Too often I get bought into the deal and here's what's agreed, here's the structure, here's how it's going to be and the value that's lost there. Because if the advisors are involved earlier and look at it, okay, sales structure is not simple but it's not that hard either if you think it through in advance. Once you get tied into something, then it's a different story. It's it's quite hard. But get in early, address it, which you'll notice is a bit of a theme during these podcasts is get in (laughs) early and address it. But sales structure is really important because to be honest, look, I love it when people pay lawyers because I'm one of them. But I hate it when they're paying more than they need to to the tax man or when they're wasting their money, okay? Because then I, then A, I get a bad reputation, which doesn't help. But, you know, the more money that goes into the client's pocket at the end of the day, if each of those dollars goes in whole, 
at full value, that's the best outcome we can get. Yeah. And I just, you know, maybe I think it's worthwhile for us to talk about some examples here in terms of the sorts of stories and themes we see, because we see this one so often. It's a bit crazy, actually, particularly because there is so much money that can be left on the table for our friendly tax office to collect. (laughs) Just because, you know, businesses haven't appreciated this in advance. Their advisors maybe just maybe haven't engaged in proactive planning. And I think there's perhaps maybe a bit of a lack of information out there for, you know, brokers and corporate advisors in terms of really understanding that impact at the end of the day, because sometimes that impact is not fully appreciated and felt until well after the transaction has completed. So, they just may not be aware of what we're talking about because it can be really super hard when a transaction comes to a structured in a particular way for us then to get that transaction restructured when we recognize that there's issues in it. So, this is really about prior planning for everyone involved, you know? Yes, very much so. And it's one of those things that people don't really realize their business structure quite often until they start to look at doing agreements and looking at that. And, And some of those things, so it can be as simple as where your assets or what kind of an entity holds your assets, or it can be as complex as what kind of sale process you're going through. And it does range across that a broad range of things. But one of the things I do find is sometimes advisors will switch off to one option because they might perceive additional risk in it. Now, the value in that option actually may be a lot higher than the risk. And that's an assessment process that you need to take. And that's one of the things that people forget is that there's not one way of structuring a sale or an acquisition. And you've got to figure out what's right for the entity and for the business at that time. Absolutely, 100% agree. And let's talk about some examples here because I, I think that can sometimes help for people then to identify where this might be occurring. So, one example that we see time and time again is this question of share sale versus business sale. And it can have its own place and there are different taxation consequences depending on whether or not the sellers will qualify for small business concessions, for example, or whether they won't. So, so there's a lot of different considerations. But just on that pure share sale versus business sale, I see some advisors coming into this space just thinking there's no possible way. This is probably to, you know, in relation to sub $5 million sales, but advisors coming in feeling like the only possible thing they could allow their clients as buyers to do is a business sale, not a share sale. And I just think generally speaking, that's a very limited view because in many instances, share sales can be very useful for a buyer from a transition perspective, you know, because it can sometimes take a lot of time and effort to transition a business out and can expose key assets, like for example, client bases, key suppliers, all of those sorts of things, depending on what the business looks like. So, I think it's very narrow to have a an absolute blanket view of one particular structure of purchase or sale over another. Yeah, I agree. I cannot express how much I agree. So (laughs) one of the people I also don't like paying aside from the lawyers like myself is I don't like 
paying unnecessary legal fees either. So sometimes you need to look at the individual business to figure out what is the best option. So there's a couple of things. One, sometimes share sales seem to have this reputation as being the boogeyman in the room. Yes, when you buy the shares in a company and it's a company structure, you are buying its history, you're buying that company. So you're buying everything. But if that company has a lot of different assets that are all over the place, you have no concern that you've missed any. You've got them all. And that's one of the things that is quite important to know. When you're buying an asset sales, when you do a business sale, Okay, you can cherry pick the assets to some extent, but very few in the sub $5 million mark do. They try and buy all of them. And then we have problems about transferring things or proven use that, you know, for example, something that hasn't been registered and they've been using a trading name for the last 10 years, but they've never got it registered. Well, if that's been a share sale, you've bought that prior use as well. So there's things like that where that share sale does actually solve some of those, I guess, legal due diligence questions as well. So you can, in the right circumstances, not only do you minimize the tax man's cut, but you also can minimize some of those other costs or concerns along the way. But it is a balancing act. So the other side of it too, though, why I love share sales is it minimizes the tax man's ability to take as big a cut realistically. So obviously everyone's circumstance is different and the accountants are the key people here. Now, I don't often say grab your accountant and get them into the table, but you need them in on this one because the accountants are the guys who will help you do it. But with a share sale, when you look at the application of some of the different taxation rules, you can literally almost be paying half the amount in tax as you would have been if it was on an asset sale. Yeah. And I just want to give some colour to this because this is something, and I guess we're harping on about it because it comes up again and again and again. And quite often we're brought in to new clients and transactions when commercial terms have already been struck and it just frustrates us. I think that's why we're talking about this a lot because we see how much money could be saved again and again and again. So, you know, just a month ago, we completed a deal where there was probably 500 grand to close to a million dollars in extra tax that was probably paid because this hadn't been thought about by the advisors early enough. You know, prior to that, you know, I've got deals where I think more than you know, two and a half, three million dollars extra in tax. In tax! Mm. <laughs> We're talking a lot of very good holidays. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so it's just remarkable how often this happens. On the one hand, uh, when someone comes to us in time, I like that conversation where, where they have that dawning where suddenly that discussion with us, you know, hands up, we're not accountants here. We've just seen it happen enough times to be able to recognise issues very quickly here. But that reaction on people's face when they realise there's a way that they could save a stack load in tax from approaching this, and it's not just tax, there can be other costs that are involved as well, approaching it from a different way. I guess we're just talking about different perspectives, but it actually keeps me awake at night. Some of those instances where we've just been brought in too late, there's nothing that we can do. And I just think it's a crying shame. And that's the thing. So look, if you talk to my accountant, they'll tell you I'm not a tax advisor, that's for sure. Um, (laughs) But knowing the questions to ask and asking those questions 
early enough to do something about the answers. Yeah. And that's the real key in this protecting the value and how you go about it. So you want to think about the structure, not when you're just talking to the broker for the first time. Okay. That's too late. Now, maybe you want to have that preliminary discussion a year or so earlier than the actual sale time. And that may be a sensible time to do it if you've picked it, picked your broker. But if you're going to do a business sale, you want to start looking at where your assets are held and what structure they're in now because you may actually want to move things around. I had a a lovely client come in and he wanted to do some wonderful stuff. But before he could do that, he had to do three different transactions to clean up the business so that he could keep the bits he wanted to keep. Now, that put a lot of pressure on the sale and the deal at the time because obviously he had an opportunity that he wanted to take. And it had been there for a while. And I harp on a little bit about this. It was like, oh, I should have done that earlier. I should have done that a while ago. I knew these businesses were, you know, never really going to go together. And I knew I was going to palm that one off a while, you know, a while ago. If that's part of your strategy and that's part of what you're thinking, use your foresight and your strategic thinking to put some of those things in place to make it easier. And then you can look at it. So it's also that structuring process is a complete process. It's not just the terms of the deal. It's structuring your business to fit into the most tax effective or cost-effective deal. Absolutely. And look, I guess I, I just want to say here, we have lots of accountants who are listening in who, who may not necessarily have clients that are exiting businesses very often, which, you know, completely makes sense. For many business owners, their exit is a once-in-a-lifetime event, you, you know, and they'll run a business for 25 to 30 years and then exit it. So it can be, for many accountants and advisors, something that doesn't crop up all that often. And guess just one thing I want to say is whilst we're talking about all of these things that we see, and we're certainly not accountants, we're really happy to act as a sounding board for you. And we have a really strong network of accountants and advisors who can provide, you know, whether it's white label services or services that can step in to provide some of those more specialized elements, if indeed that's ever something that maybe you require as a value add-on to your own services. So there's lots of ways of approaching it while still being able to keep that client relationship. Yes. And I don't think in this day and age, anyone expects one person to know everything. Yeah, that's right. None of us can. And it's knowing enough to ask the questions to get to the person who knows the answers. And that's one of the things too. So accounting is a specialist field. I just know enough to ask the right questions. So then that the questions are asked and then people can think about it. And that's one of the things to do. And the other thing is sometimes you don't know that you're going to sell. You know, sometimes it comes up a bit quicker. And that's why I get back to that good housekeeping. Mm. Look at how you're doing things, keeping it, you know, from a legal perspective for me, neat and tidy. So if you're looking that you're doing a business and you're starting to develop basically really two very clear, distinct streams, how, how distinct are they? How do you maintain them? What do you do? And that's one of those things that housekeeping as well is really important along the way in that prepping for sale process. I think it's part of this concept of running your business in a sale-ready state or as advisors, us encouraging our clients and reviewing our clients regularly to see if they're running in a sale-ready state just so that sometimes 
buyers pop out of the blue. You know, sometimes there can be a really good offer on the table. Just because someone's approaching you, though, doesn't mean that they're going to have their blinkers on and not look out for risk, not look out for issues. And, you know, it doesn't mean that you're going to end up with the right value in your pocket at the end of the day, even if you've got a really good offer on the table. So I think there's a value add-on piece here for accountants and advisors in terms of working in a holistic way with their clients together with lawyers who know what sale-ready looks like to help them be in that sale-ready state. Because I think sale-ready business is also a business to run in any event. Yeah, our clients always find me a little bit strange because I always want to know how they make their money and what they're doing because I'm interested, but it enables me to give better legal advice. So, it's the same for all the advisors that are listening to this. Oh, that that sounds like really good. What are you doing with that? What are your intentions with that? Or is that bit of the business kicking off? Is that one? That seems to be kicking goals, you know, asking those questions and okay. And that builds your relationship with your client to give that advice. And it also gives you that knowledge as well. People don't come in and say, I'm going to sell my business in five years time. Some people have that vision. Other people, it's like, oh, this is really, you know, that's a really great part of your business. What are you thinking you'll do with it? Where are you going to take it? And then the answer may be, yeah, look, I haven't really thought much about it, but maybe it's something I'll offload if I can get it successful enough. You know, it's getting into those, what are those kind of hidden agendas to make things smooth and give all the options available to our clients. That's what I look for. Absolutely. And I guess on a slightly different but related topic, you know, talking to the brokers and the corporate advisors out there, I think the relevance of this piece that we're talking about today is really about making sure you understand what the options are in the flow through to the clients. Now, maybe there's some advisors out there who say that's something for the clients to work out themselves at the end of the day. Our job is just to find the buyers and help them get the transaction done. But I just think at the end of the day, we're all there to try and get the best outcome for our clients. And quite often that might mean that what the most obvious structure is in terms of the way to structure a deal might not be the biggest win-win for both parties. And if you can really dig into that win-win from this perspective that we're talking about, the value, the taxation, the transition, the integration, all of that side in terms of structuring a deal, I think you're far less likely to have a deal fall over if you can dig into that win-win and if you can weave it together. So I think advisors, brokers, corporate advisors really are best placed even in terms of serving their own interests by by asking the right questions. And if, if you're not sure what those questions are, once again, we're really happy to talk to you at any point to give you some ideas of other ways that you might be able to look at structuring certain deals. Yeah. And I love it when the advisors ring me up and ask me a question. It's just the best time, A, to talk about what's going on and to give some advice, but it also gives me a sense of satisfaction knowing that when that deal, and if it does come to me, you know, obviously I hope so, but it may not. It doesn't particularly bother me, but when it does come, it's going to give the best outcome because we all hate doing all the work and nothing happens or it falls over. We've all had that deal that's taken two years that could have taken six weeks. Yeah, yeah, that's right. They're killers. Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> and but it's focusing on this prep phase it properly that really helps drive quick deals as well. I think that's the reality at the end of the day. You know, it makes deals less likely to fall over. Number one, and number two, drives a tighter time frame. Agreed. I really agree. Okay, great, Fiona. Thanks a lot for coming on board today. I think that probably wraps up part two of our discussion about prepping for sale, where we we're talking about protecting the value in the business. So to our listeners out there, don't go away. Make sure you keep tuning in because Fiona and I will be back for this part three of this three-part series all about prepping for sale. Well, that's it for part two of our three-part series all about prepping for sale. Now, of course, in part one, we talked about protecting people. So if you haven't heard that episode, then I recommend you head back to some of our previous episodes and listen to that one. And in this episode, of course, we were talking about protecting value. And I just think this is such an important consideration for sellers and for buyers as well. It's important um, as as Fiona and I discuss for buyers to be well aware of some of the impacts of the differences in structuring the deal because it can be used to your benefit in finding win-win outcomes. And of course, the next episode will be part three in this series, which is all about prepping for sale in protecting assets. Now, if you'd like to find out more about this topic, just head over to our website at The Deal Room Podcast. Dot com, where you'll be able to find details of how to contact our lawyers at Aspect Legal if you or your clients would like to discuss any legal aspects of sales or acquisitions. Of course, we have some great products in prepping businesses for sale, prepping buyers for the sale process, and of course, in uh, undertaking the sale and acquisition process itself. Well, look, um, if you enjoyed what you heard today, I would be very grateful if maybe you would consider popping over to your favorite podcast player and leaving us a review. And while you're there, if you haven't subscribed, then make sure you hit subscribe as well so that these episodes can be delivered straight through to your phone each time they're released. Well, thanks again for listening in. You've been listening to Joanna Oki and the Deal Room Podcast, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. See you next time. Ladies and gentlemen, that will conclude this evening's entertainment. Thanks for listening to the Deal Room Podcast. To find out more about this episode and other episodes in the series, check out the show notes or head over to our website at thedealroompodcast.com.au. 